0: Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to changemakers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about today's trailblazing guest. Samara Hakim is the president of Culture Grit LLC. She is an international culture and inclusion thought leader, data strategist, keynote speaker, writer, and facilitator. For over a decade, Samara has equipped leaders with the cultural intelligence to work with those who are different by mitigating bias and integrating culture into business practices and metrics. Samara has worked on projects for Fortune 500 and 100 companies, including culture transformation, inclusive leadership, gender culture empowerment, and inclusive procurement. She has facilitated workshops in multiple languages at various levels for multiple industries, including for-profit and nonprofit organizations, startups, and educational institutions, Samara has been a member of several advisory boards and a leader in many communities of practice. She is also a member of Forbes Coaches Council. Samara has been featured in a book on global leadership and in several media outlets and podcasts, including this one. Samara is a dynamic speaker who engages people to think beyond their comfort zone to work across differences. She draws on a range of experiences, including her cross-cultural work, her career as a lawyer, and her personal background. Samara grew up in Lebanon and she currently resides with her husband and two children in San Diego, California. She loves chocolate, biking, dancing and travel. We have a lot of similarities there and I am so excited to have you here on the show today, Samara. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Hi. Happy to have been invited to
0: your podcast. (laughs) I can't wait to get into so much of what we shared in your bio and and a lot of these topics that we're going to cover today. But first, can you share what feels most important beyond your bio for people to know about you, who you are and how you came to this work?
1: Yes, what's most important and especially closing out a year 2022 I would say family, love, giving love and letting love in. You know, those are really two different things I've learned. And friendships, good people, good food, (laughs) chocolate, right? And, you know, all the experiences that come with everyday simple pleasures, basically, I would say. That's what's Mm -hmm. most important for me. So much
0: Connection, I feel, to that word love and love in terms of how it integrates into this work. So thinking about how you and just sharing with with us how you came to focus on inclusion, creating more inclusive and innovative work environments. What led you to that focus on this work?
1: For this work, I I first got introduced to it, I I was in law school, and at the time I was interning for a senator who was the first Black woman to be a senator in Oregon, Senator Aval Gordley. And Senator Gordley knew my passions and my interests in public interest law. And so she gave me a book about cultural competence that had come her way to her office, and it was about cultural competence in schools specifically, and she signed the book for me. So that was the first spark there of, oh, there's a thing <laughs> called cultural competence. What is that? And I, I think I had thought of the concepts. I didn't necessarily have a name for it. Then later on as a lawyer, when I was a, an attorney, my managing attorney invited me to do a presentation on this topic. It was for advocates, lawyers, judges around family law and immigration law and, and that ability to tell the story of our clients with the cultural lens. So this was my first approach around this work from that particular cultural competence angle. And then over time, it morphed into cross-cultural communication work and specifically in business and then cultural integrations of various organizations. I did that work with a startup. But all throughout, it became very clear to me that to work with people who are different than us, it, it had to be done in a setting that was specifically designed for those differences to be valued, to be supported, uh, leveraged. For maximum effectiveness was m- many times the language that we were using and for results and profit and the bottom line. But over time, you know, it w- it was also clear that it's not sufficient to be talking about it. We do need to recognize that power dynamics are ingrained and in relationships and imbalances are there and they need to be mitigated. So... That kind of brought back some of my legal training in equity and justice and conflict resolution and and looking at risks as well. And then throughout all of this, I was on my own journey so I can learn who I am and what my dreams are, what my desires, my values, my purpose was, and also what my own powers and my privileges are. So... When I look back as to what an inclusive, innovative work environment looks like, I see my purpose in that as bringing people together to be themselves so that they can create the most impactful work that they would like to see and for their own dreams and their own legacy.
0: So easy, easy light work. (laughs) Yes, every day. (laughs) big life-changing life journey work. And I I love how you connected the dots to going out as an entrepreneur and really having to do that internal self-reflective work because not often do we, or maybe not nearly enough, do we go inside and check on, okay, what are the experiences that have shaped me? Like you said, what privilege do I carry? And also what Disempowerment has been and oppression has been kind of pushed on me that I need to work through and and help others, support others through that work as well. And as you're moving into, not even moving into, but kind of carrying this thread of the passion that you have for helping people navigate differences more effectively, leaving your career as a lawyer to transition into this consultative work within organizations. What was that transition like for you? It
1: was, you know, as an attorney, it's really a consultant job. I just didn't look at it that way. In many ways, you are consulting. Mm -hmm. The difference with this work that I do now is beyond many times having the answers. You know, people as an attorney, they expect Mm -hmm. you to just give the answer readily, like that's the law, that's the rule and all that. And With this work, you're really facilitating and drawing out from so much for all of us to figure out the answer together. And I think that's what I really enjoy the most about this work. And frankly, that was a big mind shift I have to go through. At the time, of course, and the process, I haven't even told you about the personal stuff of the process, which is, you know, informing everybody in my life and, and growing up in Lebanon and, and coming as an immigrant with my family, the pressure of having a career that everybody can pronounce and can define, you know, like lawyer, mm. right, that all came with it. So that journey in of itself of telling everyone, I'm no longer going to be doing this, you know, traditional practice. And trying to persuade them that all the skills are transferable. <laughs> you know, I'm not lost as a human being. I really, I just need something different. Mm-hmm. And you've, you know, you've got a larger family who's interested in seeing you succeed. So the process itself for me meant I had to redefine what success looked like or what I had been brought up to believe success is beyond your career, right? Being making the impact that you want to make in the world. Which I believe both careers are, are, I'm doing essentially the same impact. It just looks differently, which is, you know, fostering equity, fostering justice, bringing people together, creating better connections, giving, you know, creating access to opportunities. That's how I always looked at law and doing immigration law, especially and family law. So in that sense, that was the. Effort I had to go through in my own head, and then being able to communicate it largely to others as well. Hmm.
0: That had to have been a difficult transition, but the way you talk about it now and kind of that connection to purpose and your values, I hear it shine through in so much of when I get to hear, when I'm lucky enough to hear you speak. And so I certainly appreciate Thank that you. pivot that you've made, even though I know it must have been so difficult to to just say, "This is what I'm doing."
1: I also have to say that not everybody has the choice to transition. Luckily, I had somebody else who was supporting me, my husband, financially, where I could pause and reflect and make the decision around my career, which I recognize many, many people do not, cannot even do that. So, in that sense, I recognize that's another privilege, you know, that I had an advantage financially.
0: Yeah. So, having that support to be able to go off on your own is definitely something that is very helpful. I know, and we're both entrepreneurs and, and it is volatile. And yet, now you've been in business for several years now. Hey. If you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay, back to the show. want to hear a little bit more about Culture Grit and and how you've kind of transformed that into the consultative agency that it is today
1: yeah so it it wasn't you know directly from legal practice to this business i i did work for a startup for a while i freelanced and then ended up thinking more about okay how can i create a company how can i formalize this and my goal obviously is to grow it it feels like ages ago it was i think 2015 is when i first Really start thinking seriously about this business and you know formalizing a company. But yeah, it's been uh, as you know self as well from your journey. It's a it's a very interesting road and it's one of those routes that nobody really can teach you everything along the way. So relationships, connections, people around, the support, keeping the vision and the values grounded as well really get you through that and I feel most days to be honest I am able to do that some days I have to check in with myself not to be sucked into the money (laughs) and Mm. and have that you know so because it's very easily easy to be tempted with that and and forget kind of nope that's not the kind of business I want to run and I really want to stay focused on the impact I want to do.
0: And when you realize that you realize, oh, there's so many other people I can send that work to. And exactly. I can stay laser focused on what I'm doing. I'm still learning that lesson right now. You're coming up on eight years. So, <laughs> so much wisdom to share there. But what I really appreciate, Samara, is so much about the way that you talk about this work. And I want to transition us to talking a little bit about this idea of culture intelligence and cultural fluency because you've spoken to so many audiences, including internationally, about this concept. Can you just start by telling us a little bit more about what that means, what cultural Mm -hmm. intelligence means?
1: Yes. Cultural intelligence, uh, since... 2003, cultural intelligence has been defined and basically reiterated until today. So it started out by Professors Sun Ang and Lynn Van Dyne and Christopher Early. And the definition was the capability to function effectively in culturally diverse contexts. And you see many times cultural intelligence being changed with cultural competence. The idea is, and from our work at Grid, it is inclusion in action. So I've been working with this framework because it helps us to design the space to co-create together and achieve our common goal. We need to understand the role of culture, whether it's organizational or group culture, and, and because culture is all around us in the sense that uh, we're encountering people who look, think, communicate, make decisions differently than we do on a regular basis. So this is about the mindset and the behaviors to build trust and to work with someone who is different than us and to work with each individual as that basically working with them as an individual cultural intelligence is a developmental so that's another nice thing about it why i also continue to incorporate it into the work around diversity equity inclusion and belonging because it is flexible as a framework and, and culture is fluid and culture is flexible, so we need a flexible approach. So that's where that is kind of blending into the DEI work with culture grit.
0: Yeah, so this idea that culture is all around us. We think that culture is just at our organization or just kind of if we work in companies, we're thinking about organizational culture, but culture really does apply to our team dynamics, our family dynamics, our upbringing. So I think that when it comes to this this idea of intelligence that you were saying, it's really about how do you engage with and build trust, like you said, with people that have different life experiences than I do. which is. Exactly. Every single person. <laughs> and <laughs> so what are some of the tools that I know you do? You have a lot of different tools and methodologies that you use at Culture Grit. And especially when it comes to measurement, which I love, because if you can't measure it, you can't achieve it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to starting to work with an organization, a team, or just a group, any group dynamic, and you're, you're trying to help them and support them in their cultural intelligence What are some of the ways that you work towards that or work with them in that regard?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a lot of times the engagement comes because folks are not necessarily happy where they are or they have a desire, even if they are okay with where they are, they have a desire to be elsewhere as an organization, as a team. And so we start with that. But many times, if we're truly going to go on this journey, we need to also be open to the end result looking differently. And so, yes, you can have assessments, you can have measurements. We'll do qualitative stuff. We do quantitative work, interviews, focus groups, assessments, basically on an organizational level. We take what's already there in place and work with it. So we design together with the client. But the key thing I would say, and very central to this work, is that that openness about the end results themselves needs to also be there. So yes, there's a minimum viable product when it comes to having the essentials for an inclusive and and an equitable culture that we're trying to create it. But so much of it is clarified later in the process. So looking at the journey itself as a part of it is really a big piece of what we do. And that involves coaching throughout the consultation work and facilitating spaces as well to have these real conversations and seeing the value and engaging in the journey itself to build relationships, even if whatever we were hoping to get exactly does not look how we had thought thought about it because we did not know so much. There's so much information that comes out later. You do this work, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So much surfaces where what we had set out to do uh, and, and think that's, that's where we need to be it doesn't make sense anymore. We need to even to be either further along or maybe dial back a little bit and step back to to level set with everyone so they're ready to go on the rest of the journey with us. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. I think it does.
0: The agility part of this work and that leads me into the question around discomfort because so much of your expectations being one thing and then having to pivot and having to change mid-cycle or or mid-discovery can be really uncomfortable. But also anytime you're trying to change mindsets, hearts and minds, there's a lot of discomfort. We are wired for change, but we don't like it necessarily. (laughs) So what role do you see discomfort playing in this work and how do you help clients or individual leaders work
1: through it? Yes. you said it's, it is, you know, this word discomfort, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, they come up a lot in this work. And I personally had to think about this for a while for my own self as well. And what I, because as you do this work, you start, if you pay attention to your own emotions and what triggers you and, and what gets in the way of you really feeling like every meeting was great or every facilitation was great you have to go on your own journey so what i have come to realize about this and how i processed it so i thought okay the outcome of equity and inclusion that that we're trying to reach is creating this space for belonging right it's belonging this is where It can get uncomfortable because, yes, as you said, you know, we're uncomfortable usually with change. We get uncomfortable because we have to reckon with our biases, because we have to admit to ourselves who we believe deserved what and who doesn't belong with us. And being able to answer why I thought the way I did, all of these are uncomfortable personal conversations, group conversations, whatever. And belonging is where each person feels that their uniqueness is fully acknowledged and realized. And also incorporated uh, into the, the work, into the outputs of the organization. So this, by definition, is going to mean that we have to learn about the uniqueness of each other, and this will challenge us. We are going to feel uncomfortable. We're learning something new. Anytime we're learning something, it is usually uncomfortable at the beginning. I'm, you know, I'm not sure where I'm going to go. Can I get it? Like, will I figure it out? But the key thing is. Just because it's uncomfortable, it does not mean it is not safe. And I think those two concepts get confused. In fact, it is the discomfort that's a sign. For if anybody ever is feeling that and who's listening, you know, it's a sign. It's a sign that you're trying to understand that you are processing, that you're open to make it work. Otherwise, you would have shut down completely and, and people do. So you know, that's a big piece of it is coming to terms with the fact that it's okay. And then of course let's talk about how many folks have lived with discomfort for other reasons in our life. You know, it's uncomfortable to go to the dentist. Well for most of us, it's uncomfortable (laughs) to stand in line for that one movie that you really want to see. It's uncomfortable to let your kids do what they want to do and make them have their own mistakes. I know that. I'm a mom of two and every day I think about how uncomfortable that is. But when we've understood the value of something to a very deep level, somehow we have been okay with the discomfort and we're less likely to use discomfort as an excuse. So hopefully with, with GIB work as well, we come to realize the same thing that, and, and the fact that the people who have not been safe, safe, I use the word here, are the ones who had to hide fundamental characteristics and values of, around their identities. For someone else's comfort, most of the time. So let's mm. get uncomfortable together, and we're gonna come out stronger. Frankly, really, it's a necessary part of this work. It's it's just it it has to be, and we have to accept that first. Beyond, you know what what we're used to getting, and I and I have seen it. Here's what I would say: it's it's not around only this work. I've seen beyond this work this thing about being comfortable with being uncomfortable translates into other areas in someone's life. I see it when I coach people. I've seen people how it has led them to thrive in other areas of their life and made a huge impact on their lives from their willingness to get out of their comfort zone. So it does you know, have, if you will, a, a ripple effect to other areas once we embrace that feeling.
0: Oh, such an important call out there, and I really love what you said about not confusing safety and discomfort, not confusing the two. There are times where you have been unsafe, and there are very valid reasons to not bring the full fullness of you or show up authentically as your whole self because of safety. But I think we use that too much as a default. I don't feel I, I this is oh, and yet. It's, it's a mindset. It's another – it's more mindset work and shifting that we're doing because our bodies feel like we're in fight, flight, freeze sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's our brain's natural reaction. But when we take a pause and we really interrogate, where is this feeling coming from? Why am I feeling so uncomfortable? Where is the resistance? And then we can kind of work through and and be a little further from it when we when we're journaling about it or having discussions around it name it. It's okay to name the discomfort and say, I am having some feelings around this and I want to work through it. So I think coaching, like you said, when you work with coaching clients is a really valuable process to interrogate some of those things for yourself. And yeah, it's expansive. Once you get comfortable being uncomfortable, you can (laughs) apply that to everything. Parenting is such a good example, but just we're always going to be thrown things that we don't expect. And so just that natural inclination or that transformation to move into, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to not know all the answers and to just kind of keep a curious, open mind when it comes to all of it. And I think that's one of the tenets of that makes a really good inclusive leader, which is another thing I want to ask you about. But Mm -hmm. what are some of those behaviors and skills that help those who lead others and who are role modeling this work, what are some of the ways that you see mm-hmm. inclu- inclusive leaders showing up differently?
1: Yes. I, and I love that you said years and, and skills, you know, beyond what's in our mind, the mindset, right? It has to be these actions, these behaviors, these practices that we do. So the way inclusively, wh- wh- I, overall, I would say it is, Creating that space physically and psychologically for everybody to thrive because differences are shared. They're acknowledged. They're respected and leveraged. And the main elements of inclusive leadership in my mind also connect with equitable leadership. So I, I feel always that I can't talk about inclusive leadership without incorporating some of those. So for example, an inclusive leader is somebody who was able to see the other, the other. Right. And what we define as other as whole in of themselves. There's somebody who can treat people fairly. They are someone who knows how to design for diversity. They are people. What I mean by seeing other people as whole, that they, they recognize that there is an intersectionality of identities, these many layers of identities among us. And like we mentioned earlier, lived experiences and that these will you know, they will exacerbate barriers that we face many times. So how can I see somebody as whole? I see them just the way they are. I don't feel the need to fix them. I acknowledge the value of these unique lived experiences that they have, while also recognizing historical practices towards these cultural groups that they identify with. And then from that, How do I treat people fairly? This is why I was saying, you know, equitable leadership and inclusive leadership basically go hand in hand. You are an inclusive leader and an equitable leader when you provide opportunities for meaningful participation and growth. Again, recognizing these unique capabilities, needs, and goals of others, that is essentially equity. It doesn't make sense if we're not tailoring to these goals and needs of others, especially those that have been minoritized. And then the last bit that I said about designing for diversity, this is where we are harnessing the diversity of people and fostering safety and access so we have improved connectedness. We have improved belonging. We can do decision-making in an agile way, as you mentioned, for growing our impact, our outputs. So... Again, it is practices. It is opening up, acknowledging differences, finding common ground, fostering safety and access. All of these make leaders who are inclusive uh, stand out and make for an inclusive leader, I meant to say.
0: I love so much of what you touched on. And especially so much of this is rolling up into that unique experience that each of us comes in with and recognizing those the strengths in that and the and like you said, not trying to fix or help them transition those strengths out just because it's not well the norm is here, the cultural norm is here, but how do you elevate each individual's strengths? What are some of the things that you've seen or or that you work with leaders, especially when you're coaching them around seeing those unique attributes and really cultivating them and, and developing them over time.
1: So how how I worked with them so they can recognize their own strength and powers?
0: Yes. And then using that to apply it to others. Because I think, yeah, once we go through that exercise for ourselves, it really mm-hmm. opens us up to be able to see that in others as well. I don't know. that That's yeah. my experience. So I'd love to hear more about yours.
1: Yeah. A lot of time. So I always like to start just with you and me talking now. I'll start with myself and what has helped me. And these are tools that are, that have also been useful to folks I've worked with. You know, there are people in our life, if we're fortunate enough, who love us unconditionally. And they are a great source to go to and ask questions about what they see in you, what they value the most about you, you know, what they think is unique and different. And also, they are the great people to tell you about what your weaknesses are, not just your strength. (laughs) 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 And, you know, we have to be open to that one as well because they love us (laughs) unconditionally. They might even feel a little bit too comfortable to tell us sometimes. And so that's one exercise to do. You know, most of the time when I'm coaching someone, sadly, they've been in uh, a space or maybe recently have been in that space or and gotten out of it or whatever. But basically, they are in that mode of kind of forgetting who they are and going through that the exercise of. What brings me joy? Why it brings me joy? Thinking about, you know, over time, roles that I've taken, what have been the things that I just did readily and felt really strong at. Do I continue to do them? Where have they been? You know, so there's several exercises we go through. And a key to bringing all of this together and finding our strength is also to maintaining the ability to see a vision, to see where I want to go. So, writing out our personal vision, and there's, you know, we go through an exercise around that. It's a personal vision, but it's also the work and leadership kind of vision that they would have, because usually I'm working with leaders, and it's a very full exercise because many times people say, for example, you know, they're they're here with me because they want to become a more inclusive leader, but actually they have no idea what that looks like, and they don't know what that really means. They just feel that that makes me a good person. <laughs> and there's so much more that makes them a good person. This is not the only thing. So so digging through to find those out. I hope that answers the question.
0: You gave me even more than I wanted there in terms of how do we take a step back. And that it was so powerful when you said people forget who they are. Oof, because we are just, we start to go through the motions and we start to kind of, look to other people on how we should show up and we're not putting our own unique spin on it. We're our unique purpose and vision on it. And I think from the inclusive leader perspective and equ- equitable leader perspective, it's it's not only helping them position that for themselves, but not, but once they go through that exercise, they can start to pose those questions to their teams. Exactly. Let me really understand, team member, what your vision is and where you're headed and how I can not only use that knowledge to support you, but connect you to opportunities, connect you to people, connect you to just projects and and work that really lights your fire. And when we are leading teams, it's really important for us to know what lights your fire, what gets you up in the morning, and how can we really cultivate your strengths, your uniqueness that can elevate us all. I think it goes back to innovation, just as we started the conversation on is how do you create more innovation? Well, you let people bring the fullness of themselves and their Wild and crazy ideas. What seems, yeah, what seems that way sometimes. What seems wild and crazy, which is actually just we never thought about that before, challenging the status quo.
1: Yeah, and it's been a rough couple of years for most of us, right? So that's, you know, the grind that we've been under, the go, go, go. So yeah, pausing and thinking about our vision will be a difficult exercise if, if I'm in crisis mode most of the time. So For sure, we are coming up on a lot of innovation in the workplace. I see that, I mean, no doubt this coming year, especially.
0: Which is a great segue as we've been going in a little bit. Let's take it, pull it back out a bit in terms of focusing on DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, culture transformation work. How do you see these next couple of years or just ways that we need to evolve this work going forward? be even more effective?
1: Mm -hmm. I think when I look at some of the conversations that popped up the past year, especially, well, the past couple of years, you know, we have to get deeper into the anti-racism work. And that's not just a work for the U.S. It's a global thing. It's a fundamental route that will lead us to where we ideally want to be. And it is going to be a challenge because we continue to value the systems that we have, but <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. they were designed to yield the results that we are seeing. I mean, think about just I think last week, the story of the Congressman who was denied an apartment in DC because he had bad credit. And I was thinking, you know, at the mo- when I read that, I was thinking, okay, What exactly is credit like? Where did this concept of credit come from? It's basically this idea of can I hold you accountable to pay? Does your past show me that you can pay? Well, who has had the advantages to always pay? Who gets away with not paying? And who doesn't? How the so how the justice system works is a whole other conversation. And as a former lawyer I really Probably should hold my tongue a bit, but you know, the related to that is whether law informs culture or culture informs law has always been a debate. And what needs to evolve is our understanding of how race is a social construct. That's what I'm trying to say. And it permeates beyond the United States. And, you know, we we also need to evolve how we think of this work itself, that this work is part and par of all communication, of all leadership, of all design, all sales, all strategy, all marketing, uh, procurement. You, You can't have any sound organizational team strategy, community strategy, social strategy, country strategy without having the IB be part of it. It's not some kind of thing on the side. Some side dish. It's the dish that's going to feed us well, the most and the longest. So I'm hoping that that's how we would evol- evolve over the coming years. And I know I know that sounds very dreamy and idealistic for some people. <laughs> I recognize that, but I have to keep the faith.
0: <laughs> well, I'm right there with you. In- In keeping the faith and keeping our eyes open to this being the long game and not the short game. So that's a challenge. What's most challenging right now for you as you're navigating this work or just in general?
1: God, let me start the list. (laughs) 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 Okay. So as I said earlier about inclusive leadership, you know, looking at people as a whole, Frankly, it's a challenge to push leaders to look at the whole person and go beyond looking at others as a, especially in their work as a production tool. And, you know, they're thinking about sustaining this workforce. There's also sustaining the workforce through mental health, physical health, financial health, emotional health. I see a lot of talk in the organizations about this, but sadly, many practices and demands continue to emphasize Things like productivity, performance, and the pressures that come with that. You know, competition, transactionality, these dominate the workforce and they can be so draining. So this push to the mind shift I'm talking about, which many of us who are in the field will know that that's a big part of decolonizing the world of work. Huge efforts right now happening around that. So that's one challenge. And another challenge is... You know, an obvious one, which is implementing the leadership and inclusive leadership, specifically in this remote workplace and this largely virtual context. This has been something that, uh, and, and you know that from the work that you do, Sarah, you know, there's a lot of innovation that's happening around this and keeping in mind also generational priorities being different. These have always been there, but the desire for accelerating things and the frustration that I see overall by the younger workforce that prior generations may not have experienced or even been able to expect because of the world that they lived in was different. So I see a lot of more candid conversations about the journey to a promotion. It doesn't need to be as long as it used to be. And we need to look at career pathways in a totally new way. And then finally, I would say the decreased engagement level in the DI work itself is a challenge. So... Mm. There's a perception that having DIB trainings and all these meetings around strategy and plan is going to be one more thing to deal with, but in reality, a lot of the work is about showing people how to do what they do on a regular basis already, just a bit differently. And so, I, uh, I, um, there's a lot more interest and a lot more talk about DIB work, but keeping up that engagement and from the beginning, making sure that they understand the initial time investment is the all, all there is for this mind shift. And then after a while, it's just about practicing things and integrating them into our work. That's been a challenge, of course, in this field for a long time. But when you add to it a new kind of workplace we're in and when we are discussing deeper conversations and courageous conversations you know, it's a, it's kind of multiplies a bit.
0: Challenging, but worth it is
1: yes. fundamentally
0: what I'm hearing. So worth it. And it's, it's so worth it. And yes, we are seeing some drop off of investments of funds into this, because I think we're still,
1: exactly many
0: organizations are still seeing this as, as mm-hmm. a nice to have as a fuzzy warm thing that maybe will encourage people to come work for us, but actually it's, <laughs> it's a business imperative, it's a humanity imperative. And so we can work through these challenges. What are you most excited about? Let's shift to the positive right now.
1: And I do, even as challenges, I look at them as positive. If it didn't come across, I want to make sure I say it. You know, I think I love working through the The issues and the problems and the challenges. And there's always a way, you know, if you do this work long enough, you know that. Let's see. What are we, what the question about what the good stuff we're excited about, right? What am I excited about? I'm excited about a trip to Vietnam in February. (laughs) No, I'll talk about the exciting stuff about this work. So definitely I see people repurposing their skills. For example, With the tech layoffs, I have close family and friends who are in tech right now, feeling nervous, and I see them, and I I really hope that they realize that they have an opportunity to go to other industries and still create so much good stuff because of these skills that they have acquired in an industry that is VUCA, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. The, The whole world of work has become increasingly that way. And they have some great transferable skills for this new transition and, or the transformation we're witnessing. I'm also excited to see how we will take what we learned about this remote workplace, the leadership in times of utter certainty, the multi-generational powers we have seen surface. You know, those people we thought were only kids, they're not so much kids. They, they've accelerated their maturity through this pandemic and I'm using kids in quotes here, by the way. The, the racial reckoning across the globe, the, the redefinition of the work week or of health, what health really looks like. Basically, I'm excited to figure out all of these cognitive dissonance things that you've been experiencing around the word work. I, I, things like where I was hearing, I know it's bad for me, but yet I work so much. I know I need the money, but I'm fighting how I will earn it. I, I want to be close to my direct reports, but I don't have time to please all of them. I want to be close to my coworkers, but I don't care if they are my friends. I want to include mm-hmm. everyone, but I can't make time for that, you know, or I mean, I, I see a lot of this stuff. I, things like I see other things are a lot tougher for others, but I don't think this is my problem. All that good stuff that comes with <laughs> the, yeah, the work. So I'm very excited to see us work through these. And like I said, the trip. Most excited about beginning to learn how to read music. I had never had the opportunity to do so in my life before. So and my daughters, you know, both play music and they motivated me. So I usually like to learn one new skill a year. This has been the past five years mostly. And this is it. This is the year I'm excited to learn how to read music. Oh,
0: <laughs> I love that. I love all of it. And even some of the the questions you were sharing before around what the questions people are asking themselves right now. I feel like they're, they're <laughs> a different level of questioning. I mean, yeah, we haven't solved it yet, but we're starting to ask more of the right questions. And that one skill a year thing, oh, I want to adapt that. That's really good. And offline, we'll talk about all of your the skills you've done in the past. But for now, I want to ask you the question that we ask every guest, which is, What's a book you've read that changed the way you think about other people and or the world?
1: Can I say two books? You may. Okay, yay. Okay, so the first book was Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Albom. And the reason why this book is very special to me is because it was given to me and by a teacher who is very special to me still in my life. And it was the first year I had arrived into the United States. I was 17 years old at the time and this was a special book because it was signed by my teacher, but it included all sorts of wisdom throughout the book. Amazing. I mean, stuff that when I go back and read, I, you know, it's just, it came true. It came true in my life. And so I think that was my teacher trying to tell me something and he continues to do so in my life. And then the second book is a book that continues to change the way I think. and Or maybe how I look at the book has changed because I'm growing. <laughs> so the, it's called the, the Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And this is a book that I read as a kid. I read later as a teenager. I read it in college. I read it in my 20s. I read it in my 30s. I read it in my 30s. I read it in my 30s. <laughs> 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 I continue to read it <laughs> with a new perspective. And it has really helped me stay grounded in and, and some simple things from childhood that we, we forget when we grow up. And but it's just, I think, if somebody hasn't read it yet, please do. <laughs> That's all I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, those are both such good recommendations. I've read both, but not a, not enough. I would say definitely reread.
1: Yeah, reread so, the so Little yeah. Prince. I would say for sure.
0: I have it, I, I first read it in French because I took I studied French for many years, and so I have the French version and the English version on my bookshelves. I'm going to go pick up both later today. Yay! Thank you. Hey, yay! <laughs> what else, Mara? Thank you for this conversation. For all of the work you're doing. It's incredible. How can people follow you and support your work?
1: Likewise, I know your work is incredible as well. So thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing your space with me. And how can people follow? So my website, you know, culturegrid.com and definitely find me on LinkedIn, Samara Hakim and send an email to info at culturegrid.com. All sorts of ways. <laughs> and I look forward all sorts to hearing. Of ways. And I hope that they mentioned as well, the the podcast, Trailblazing in Color. So make sure I'm, I'm, I'm putting in a plug here for you, Sarah, that they mentioned <laughs> that. I don't know what the rules are, but <laughs> please do mention that this is how you heard about my company and myself.
0: Oh, thank you. Yes, we will share all of that in the show notes too, so people can easily grab that info and don't have to be Writing while they're driving. Don't do that. <laughs> but thank you for your time today. Thank you for all that you do. Samara and I get to collaborate on some things. Yes. And you're just, you're, you're an expert in this. And I know we don't know all the answers all of the time. But as long as we keep going, we will get there. So thank you for, for being here and just for being you.
1: Thank you, Sarah. We keep going together, my dear. Yes. All right. Take care. Thank
0: you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast Bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Gene Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad.